This is episode number 90 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Les Nozzle. Les is a little bit of a different sort of guest for this episode. He actually is not in baseball full-time. Um, he is someone who is just a regular dad, and it started out that he just wanted to help his son learn a little bit more about the swing, started researching more and more about the swing, and um, turned into like a really good hitting coach right now. And he's, he's on Twitter. Um, you can find him at Last Nozzle. He does a really good job putting out great content. He actually doesn't take any money from anybody. He's in finance. That's what he does full-time for a living. And so it, it's pretty cool to, to see a different perspective of just kind of hitting and how you know baseball is evolving and, and someone who's an outsider but is also on the inside and sees both sides. So um, pretty different type of ep- episode today, but I think it's pretty uh, applicable to all of the listeners who are out there and coaches and parents and even some players as well. So without further ado, here is Les Nozzle. All right, we are now live with Les Nozzle. Les, really appreciate you uh, you coming on today. You got a really unique story compared to everyone else. Um, you actually don't do baseball as your full-time job. It's more so like on the side. Is that correct? Baseball would be a hundred percent hobby. I don't make any revenue, taking no revenue from baseball, zero. So how did you get started? Like, how did you get started doing it? I played baseball in college as I mean a totally half half budded player, not a great player. And then my son was six years old or seven years old when we started taking some BP, and I realized I don't know what these great guys are doing. So I was kind of on Twitter and I started following Kyle Bodie at Driveline Baseball. And we started looking at some throwing stuff, and I ran into some other people, Richard Skank, Teacher Man, and some other guys, and just kind of mushroomed from there, I guess. So what do you do for your actual, like, real-life job? I work in finance. So in my real lot, my real job is I just work in, in like, uh, corporate finance. I just have, like, the most boring job you could ever imagine. Um, my, my wife and I are, like, so you the don't like your 39-year-old. Job. No, I love my job. It's just boring. I mean, you compare you compare it to baseball and – I mean, it's not, it's not even close. So sometimes I find myself working to coach baseball. It's really weird. Well, if you could, I guess if you're growing up in this day and age, like you're just getting out of college, like right now in 2018, mm-hmm. would you go pursue baseball? Cause there's more opportunities. 100%. Yeah. hundred percent. I would absolutely pursue baseball. Even if yeah. the money's cause you probably wouldn't be able to make as much as what you're probably doing now. What I should do, what, what kids out of college should do. Yeah, or just if you, what, what if you I, were if you were coming out of college right now, I mean, you probably because you know in baseball you don't make as much money. Um, I mean, unless you're like the top top dog, like general manager, but there's only so many of those. So, like, what would you do? Here's the unique perspective I think that I offer. Maybe that's different from other people in baseball. I I never was in baseball really. You know, kind of a kind of a college player, decent college player, and then went and you know learned, went to college, got into ba- got into uh, some finance stuff, and took some other. Some other stuff that made me, I don't know, learn a little bit about life. So now when I meet with players and coaches and kids, I talk to them about what they should do. And the most important thing that you can do is get a functional degree. And what I mean by that is if you're going to go to college, accounting, law, you know, something that's architecture, engineering, something that's applicable to baseball if you want to work in it. And it's no more illustrated than looking at what driveline has. So I look at them as kind of the model to say, if I could get out of baseball right now or get out of college right now. I would do something that was applicable to what they're doing at driveline. 
And I think that if there's someone else out there doing something like that, that is the cutting edge of baseball. And I would, I would get on board. I would do anything I could to get on board that train. But isn't isn't that crazy though that uh, you talk about like majoring in something like finance or something um, like that? Kyle Bodie, I mean, I I talked about this the other day. I don't think he's he has any certifications. I don't. I think his major was sure. something just completely irrelevant. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just kind of it's just interesting. So, it's like if you want it, like you can go get it. Let me let me address it though. Let me address it from my perspective as a dad, and I think Kyle is a genius. So. We deal in two types of things. We deal in probabilities and possibilities. I think you would probably agree. So when you think about what's possible, sure, we're going to get to Mars or we're going to throw 120 or someone's going to hit 400 again like Ted. Those are all possibilities. But in the real world, we deal with probabilities. And if you look at what's probable or what are things that are going to make your success more probable down the line, I understand that education is something that some people frown on. And and I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. But if you look at possibilities versus probabilities, Kyle and those guys that work there, they're not really on the spectrum with smarts. They're super smart. College was something for them of a formality. I mean, they should have been teaching the classes. I am the 100% other side. I, am, uh, I was a three-point-something student in college. Everything I have today is because I do it 10,000 times. So from my perspective, I, I don't understand what they're like, what it's like to be that smart or intelligent. So for me, it just it's more about work harder, not so much smarter. I guess that's kind of been my mantra. Would you be willing to take a pay cut? Because I'm I'm interested in this because yeah. you have you have a family, right? So I guess mm-hmm. come, if you could do it over again, you know, would you be willing to take a pay cut uh, yeah. to work in baseball? Yeah, and let me tell you something. There's two types of things. There's interested and there's invested. Okay, and maybe you can apply this to your life. For me, the leaders or the people who are watching this or listening can apply this to their life. You want to surround yourself with people that are invested, not just interested. So when you look at me, I'm just interested in baseball. I don't make any money in it. It's not really my life. But then you look at people that have chosen to make baseball their life. People that coach and develop, they're invested in baseball. So if you're going to do something, the most important thing you can do is, one, become invested yourself, right? If you want to go paint houses, start a paint house painting company after you work and you know that business. And if you want to do something, get invested in it. So I would say, yes, if you're going to take a pay cut, that's an investment into your future. And I think, one, people will respect you for that. And two, you'll find yourself with other people that have invested similarly. And I think you should probably end up with good results. So you're you're in Omaha, uh, College World Series. Yep. Now, did you – I thought I saw something on Twitter where are you opening up a facility – no, we just have a little place. I coach an 11U baseball team. So we've basically put it together from, you know, really nothing, just a bunch of kids. And uh, we just had a, I have a nephew. I don't know if you've ever seen on Twitter, his name's Grice. He doesn't uh, have a father in his life. So my wife and I and my, my father-in-law have all kind of filled, you know, that niche for him. Mm-hmm. And he goes to a pretty good-sized high school in town here. And there's a, a really generous, great guy who owns a business. And he basically let us use an 80 by 20 barn and he put a cage in there and bought a hack attack and we've added some other things but it's really a place that we call wayne manor and it's really special it's right in the middle of a cornfield you drive literally like through cows and 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 corn to get to it and uh, it's kind of by invite only it's pretty exclusive and we get guys that come in from all over the country to hit with us and all over the country Uh uh-huh we get some guys all over come in with us yeah wow Mm -hmm. how much like how much like how much do they have to pay to like come hit with you guys? That's that's free. Again, it's listen, free. It's free. It's free. It's 
It's a hundred percent free. But let's talk for a second about free though. It's not really free. Okay. It just doesn't cost money. I don't charge any money. What Why we're not? really trying to build. Well, don't need the money. Two reasons. One, I don't want the money. Don't need the money. And two, it changes everything. So if you paid me to come on this podcast and I was five minutes late, I would feel bad. I'm a compensated person and you've invested in me and now you expect a return. From my perspective with baseball, money clouds everything. And let me be clear. I'm not besmirching anyone that makes their living in baseball. I respect them. I think I've already gone above and beyond to show that. But from my perspective, I'm looking for the search. I'm looking at it as a fiduciary. I look at it and say, what's right? What's wrong? What makes sense? What does the data say? What does the data not say? What can I not get from the data? So if I get a bunch of customers, what I then get is a bunch of people looking for promises and results. And I don't want that. The only thing I promise everyone is more questions. And everyone who trains with us has to promise to be loyal down the line. If we get into an argument, we disagree. That's okay. I'll never talk bad about you. Please, let's not talk bad about me. Let's, let's be men. Let's respect each other. Let's do what we don't see all the time, maybe on Twitter. Let's try to be a little better. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, the, the Twitter thing is really, really weird. It's like, like you have half people like, who are, are for technology, right, and like half mm-hmm. aren't. Where do you mm-hmm. where do you stand? Sure, a hundred percent with technology and a hundred percent with people that want quality of movement. So in, in this case, look, I'll I'll dispense with the formalities. It's my good good friend Jason Ochard, who I've had the pleasure of meeting, and the guys out at Driveline who are I can't say enough. Jason and I have met him one time. We had a steak and sat up and drank a beer till two o'clock in the morning, and he showed me, told me everything, talked to me. He was the most gracious host. I've ever seen. It was unbelievable. Charged me nothing. It was unbelievable day of driveline. Top 10 day in baseball for me easily. And then you have on the other side, Richard, who was my super close kind of mentor who's shown me how to hit. And I think what happens is they are so caught up in, in not liking each other sometimes that, you know, the search gets lost. So I, I like to think maybe I'm the arbiter of, of a person who can say, look, if we can really enhance the quality of your movement and then measure the efficacy of that movement through data, that's really what we're looking for. So I think it's about process. So Chez over at PDS always talks about the process. And I was a big WAGS fan, Brandon Wagner. That's kind of got me into this. And I think about Chez talking about quality of movement. I only wish that over time we would measure the increase in movement or, or increase in quality and then we could quantify it with metrics. But I think that if you just focus solely on the metrics and not how we got the data, meaning what we did from a movement to get the data, I think that can make it lost too. Yeah. So it's a conundrum. And I just, I'm in the middle, but I like them both. So yeah. I have to be honest, I, they're my friends. I like them all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is tough. I, I, um, I talked to uh, Chaz Pippett, uh, who owns Baseball Rebellion. Um, earlier yep. uh, today, and and he blocked me on Twitter. What's that? He blocked I, he you. He blocked me on Twitter. I I don't know why. I didn't know what I did. He, oh, he blocked. Okay. Me. Well, one of the, one of his <laughs> things was like you know he's like he kind of talked about how if if you don't measure everything, how do you know if you're getting better? And essentially, that's kind of what you're saying. Well, I think so, but I think ultimately the 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 score sheet is probably the measure. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, if you take a player. I mean, if you take a player and you measure, you don't even need to look at advanced, you know, saver metrics on this thing. If their OPS goes up, their on-base percentage goes up, slugging goes up, 
I mean, if they hit more doubles, more home runs, power, whatever you're looking for, whatever you're training, I think ultimately that would be the scoreboard. But there's no industry in that. I mean, come on, let's face it. There's industries created upon industries. So by creating all of these great metrics that we get to use, now you have really wise people being able to apply those like engineers have for time to computers and buildings. Now they're applying it to baseball. And it's a beautiful thing. It's just something that some people feel that they're being left behind. So again, as a person who doesn't make money and just is building kind of a baseball fraternity around the world or around the country, I guess, through all different levels, to me, it's an exciting time to be in baseball. So just be a spectator. What what do you what what do you do when um, you work with a player? Like what's take me through kind of um, the progression sure. of just you know I come in I work with you know with with you less like what are we what are we starting out doing what are we doing? If it's if it's a hitting person, the first thing that we do is we talk. Um, I think that that leadership is influence, and I think that if you talk to people enough, you can eventually find out how to influence them and what what matters. So we talk, we spend 30, 40 minutes just getting to know each other, gathering data, asking them, you know, what do you like? What do you do? Let me see you take some swings. And I watch him swing and we talk a little more and I ask him, you know, what are you struggling with or what do you want to do better? And then I tell him everything that Richard Skank told me. I tell him about what I think about boxing and what I think about turning the barrel and what I think about the greats do. And then we start with a drill called stretch and fire that I stole from Richard. Um, and we do that for a really long time until they understand. And then we just go through another progression. We'll probably go to a, a kickstand and then a command drill, then maybe a hover, happy Gilmore. But there's a progression that we're going to walk everybody through. What's I, I, I follow it online a little bit. What's this one-legged swing? Okay. So this is like a great question. And I get into arguments with people. All yeah. The time. Well, I want to, nope. I want to bring this up. So like, as everyone <laughs> we always talk about, so like, let's just get it out so everyone can hear it now. Okay. So I, okay, let me give you a little history and I'm going to write one leg down. Cause this is going to take a second. Okay? okay. So Matt Pierce is down in Texas. I love the guy. We got in a huge Twitter fight, but I love the guy. Now we're good buddies. I talk to him all the time. He's a great teacher. So we are going to talk one leg, but let me, let me figure out exactly. Let me give you the context. Okay. So Matt Pierce and I talk all the time and we talk about the same stuff all the time, but then he consistently makes fun of me because I use the idioms from Richard or from Snapman or hitting illustrated, whatever you want to say. And he consistently says, Oh, this needs to be standardized and this needs to be this and this needs to be that. And I say, no, it doesn't because at the end of the day, if people would stop being so obtuse to the verbiage and look at the substance or the content and go, Oh, okay. It makes sense. So Matt Pierce brings me to one-legged hitting. One-legged hitting is launching from your rear leg. Nobody, let me be clear, nobody hits from one leg. No one hits with one leg on the ground, one leg off the ground. What it is, is essentially not moving your weight from your back leg to your front leg and then swinging or shifting to swing or leaping to swing, whatever terminology you want to use. It is a loaded or weighted rear leg that is ultimately turned, and that is becoming, I hate to use the verbiage because people will get on me, but that's one engine, and then there's another engine up top, and the two mesh together. That one leg is a junction where that that engine meets. So what we want you to understand is, if you're a one-legged hitter, you don't move your center of mass or your weight from your rear leg to your front leg, and that is not the creator of momentum or power in your swing. If you move mass, back to front 
then swing, you are not one-legged. If your weight stays on the rear leg, you arrest the forward momentum and swing with a snap or a turn, you would be what is considered a one-legged hitter. But with force plates and with technology, Mm -hmm. we can Mm -hmm. see, though, that you do put weight on your front leg. Absolutely. So that's where the confusion is kind of like, well, there is Mm -hmm. weight on the front leg. I agree. There is a forward move, and this is where the confusion gets. And this is where I think that it's a failure. I have to be careful here because he'll you know, get mad at me. But I think there's a failure sometimes of explanation or, or a failure of clarity intentionally. I think it's an intentional you know, ruse pulled by some of the people because they don't always want to give it away. But let me be clear. You can hit off your front leg and still be a one-legged hitter. You can move your weight forward. Or you can move forward with the weight staying on the rear leg. I mean, would you would you agree you can do that? Yeah. Because pitchers kind of do that when they when you move down the mound to pitch. So what we're trying to say, if you watch a guy like Mike Trout, I don't know what the fourth place force plate data says, but to me, when I watch him hit, his rear leg stays really attached to the ground, and then when he starts to turn the knob, that's what moves the mass forward. The turning of the knob lets the mass go forward, not the mass goes forward then I turn the knob. So I know this is all convoluted and totally anecdotal. I get it. I do. But what we do consistently is try to match video. And by matching video, we've gotten good results. I just, I don't have the, the means to do the force plate stuff or any, I mean, you know, I don't certainly, I just want to build hitters. It's, it doesn't matter to me. I guess that's the, that's the underlying thing is that if a guy can hit, you, you know who can hit, right, Patrick? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, you, you know who can hit. I, I think I know who can hit. I know Jason knows. And I think that we get so caught up in who taught him to hit. But I bet they hit their whole life. So, right, and, I, and like, here's the thing with the, with the one-legged thing. Like, as like as someone like myself who I had a I, – I never figured it out. Like, I, I could never – I lunged so much at the baseball. Like, I could never stay back. I probably would have messed around with that a little bit. You know, I think that could have helped me just because just stay back a little bit. But I think that the problem or I think what a lot of people get up in arms about on Twitter is like, well, you can't say that's you can't say you should be able to hit as far as you possibly can just off of your right leg as you do with two legs. You know what I mean? Like, like, like it's not that doesn't actually happen in the swing. So, well, I I think that I always talk about this with players and, and people in my business, too, about like pyramids or triangles. And so I grew up kind of being a concrete guy working construction in my life. So that's kind of where I learned to work hard. And there's a triangle. And at the triangle, there's three things that you get. You get, right, you get quality work, you get cheap work, and you get fast work. And you and I, you're a, you're a Rust Belt guy. You know the three. You don't get the three. You don't get fast, cheap, and quality. Would you agree? Right, right. Usually you get fast work, and it's usually not very quality, and it's cheap. Or you get cheap work, and it's, you know, pretty fast. So you don't usually get all three. But what I describe to hitters is, if you can figure out a way to maybe circle all three things with what your, your power is or what your strength is, and instead of having the three things that a contractor has, maybe you have you know, power, maybe you have contact, and maybe you have consistency. What you have to decide is what are you willing to give up from a power perspective to increase your consistency? I mean, hell, we all play MLB the show, right? I mean, it's, right. it's kind of like building a player. So what I'm willing to give up maybe in in distance over the fence, I would be a little bit more apt to give up maybe a little bit higher fly ball percentage 
and maybe a little bit more consistency of barrel or whatever you're using to measure that versus exit velocity. And I think that so many people maybe get lost in that because of the sales aspect. What do you what do you think about uh, places or facilities where every every hitter looks the same? Um, that doesn't bother me. No, and let me explain why. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't bother me because I came from. I learned to coach baseball from coaching wrestling, believe it or not. So I, I think I think imitation is something that is a really, really it's a good skill to have. I think what happens is if a player doesn't have the intestinal fortitude to make something their own after we're done drilling or after the constraint, I think that's an, an issue with them as well as a control issue with maybe the facility. So I don't think that every hitter needs to look the same. Certainly not. But I think a lot of hitters launch from very similar positions or get to very similar positions when they hit. For me, when I work with a hitter, we work from the next slot, and, and I don't make them hit there. But we work there just because it eliminates a couple of the things that they might do in their swing that I don't want to have to coach out that day. So every hitter that I work with might look a little bit different, but they all kind of drill and, and train from that same constraint, and then we try to blend. So. I don't think that hitters all have to look the same, but it doesn't bother me if they do. Um, I was I was seeing on Twitter you just bought some um, some bats, and it looked like um, haven't really seen these before, but like the the barrel is like completely flat. And uh-huh. then what? Yeah, what can you can you kind of explain that? Do you want me to go grab it? Uh, it's uh no, nah, I I would, oh, so, but we can't no. show it on 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 video. I know oh, what you're okay, talking about. Okay, perfect. Yeah, it's it's basically a bat, and it's got the barrel cut off both sides, so it's kind of like a thin blade, really light. And a couple things that we do with it. Um, one, we use those insider bats, those little red bats with their bent. Yeah. We're going to use this as a – and we hit those little yellow jug balls. We're going to use this as a substitute for those to do some snap stops and be able to turn the barrel with them. So when you think about it, if you start the barrel here, you want to work on turning the barrel and see that it's flat that that barrel's flat coming through the zone, and you can see that you're maybe efficiently turning the barrel. The other thing is it gives you some feedback, and it goes whoosh. So when you swing it, the earlier that you can make it sound like whoosh behind you, that means that your barrel is getting up to speed or, or you have more barrel depth, as some people would say. So How have baseball your, uh, players responded to that, to using it? You know, we just got them. We just got them the other day. So we've only used them one time. Um, everybody loves using them because – when you coach kids, and I don't know, you're going to have kids someday. Here's some stage hopefully, advice. Hopefully not, man. Jeez. <laughs> stage <laughs> advice somebody gave me. Keep them interested. Here. Okay. How about this? If you get married someday, some great advice for you. Keep them interested. Okay. And I think that when you show up with something that costs a little bit of money, one, the kids have to learn to take care of it. They're little. And two, I think it's something that the kids are going to go swing it 20 times because they're interested they probably wouldn't have got those 20 swings in somewhere else or with their normal bat. So we're always trying to add something to the mix to keep everybody interested. When, when, when you work with hitters, um, do you use like any of the sensors? I do. I have a blast motion sensor. Absolutely. What, what do you think it's about a great that? Tool. It's a great tool. It's an unbelievable tool. It's how just do you, a tool. How do you like, like what I'm always interested in is like, how do you apply like uh, the metrics on there to like help a hitter? Like if they're, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Go ahead. Ask. Ask. So, what would be a scenario or a theory, or what? What do you? What would you ask? What I'm not on plane with the pitch, you know, for very long, and you know, my attack angle is negative, or mm-hmm. if it's like maybe zero to two. Sure. 
it's awesome because you get video and you get a metric with the video. So 99% of the time, when you see something like you said, that's not on plane, it is absolutely present in video. So if you think about it from that perspective, it's just another way to develop credibility. It's not going to make you a better hitter. That's what nobody understands. I mean, we've all seen Tin Cup, right? The movie Tin Cup, where he's got all the golf stuff on, the umbrella, and he's got the arm things on and all. Look, those don't make you a better player. All those do is put you in a position to understand what it's supposed to feel like. Then you take it off and try to make that your own. With a blast motion sensor, if I'm hitting balls over the right, if I'm a right-hand hitter, and I'm hitting them over the first base dugout over and over and over, you and I both know we're probably dumping the barrel. We're not on plane. Mm-hmm. I can put a blast motion sensor on there, turn the hack attack up to a similar velocity that we were seeing or reaction type velocity, and then we can get video to show, yes, we aren't on plane. Yes, we are dumping the barrel. Here's what we're going to do correct that. I just think that so many parents out there, people out there think, I bought a blast motion sensor. I hit the ball harder. I just got better. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it can help you get better. Like you see with like, Absolutely. you know, the famous like J.D. Martinez just swinging straight down. And now is, you know, bats more on, you know, more in the zone for a longer period of time. But I mean, obviously, just putting a sensor you on know, didn't do that. It's all those hours of work he put in, you know too. Value, but do you know the value that a sensor really brings to a kid? You want to know? The dad buys the kid the bat sensor and he expects him to use it. So he makes him use it for six months every day for 40 swings. There's 40 incremental swings a day for six months that he would have never got. And the blast motion sensor costs $125. So from my perspective, it's like everything else. If you become invested in something, you're probably going to be more involved in it. So if you invest in this technology and you invest in half bats and balance bats and K bats, these are all things that are going to increase the incidence of baseball. That can't be bad. There's no way. Yeah. Who's your favorite team to watch? New York Yankees, without a doubt. Oh, there we go. If you're a Red Sox fan, we're done. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm a Yankees fan. Good. I'm uh, a good Yankees because fan. I'd, have, I'd have ended this sucker right now. <laughs> <laughs> Were you from New York? Nope, nope. I just uh, so I'm a, I'm a 79 birthday, and growing up we had the Bash Brothers, and then uh, this guy from Michigan, Midwestern kid, committed to the University of Michigan, got drafted in the second round by the Yankees, named Derek Sanderson Jeter. He came up when he was 20, 21 years old, and my twin brother and I just fell in love with him. And then Rocket showed up, and Tino and Jorge and Paul O'Neill out and right. We always thought we'd be like Paul O'Neill. You know, I mean, if you were going to be anybody on the Yankees, it was going to be Paul O'Neill. I mean, yeah, you know, shot you got. European, yeah, yeah big Eastern <laughs> European kid. I'm not, I'm not going to play shortstop. So, yeah, man, Yankees all the way. 100%. Yankee. Oh, have you ever been to the the new stadium? I guess not I've new. I've been to the old stadium. I haven't been to the new Yankee stadium. I don't get to the East Coast much. All my work is on the West Coast and the South. So for me to go East, there's just nothing advantageous about it. Oh, so you have to travel a lot for work. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time? I travel a couple days a week, yeah. Oh, okay. Hopefully flying, so not fun. driving. I drive. I drive everywhere. So on my Snapchat, I'll always put usually um, some sort of hip-hop music or mumble rap that Kyle Bodie hates on my Snapchat as I'm driving through cornfields or or through big cities or getting an airport. So I try to let people know where I'm going and they always shoot me texts or snaps back and ask me what I'm doing. When I, when I travel, I try to meet up with hitters and stuff sometimes. That's awesome. So you're, are you working from like nine to five, your regular job, and then going from like, or straight from there to the facility? 
pretty much, yeah, every night. And I coach football for my little – I coach a 10-year-old football team and I coach an 11-year-old. So our schedule would be um, Monday night wrestling, Tuesday wrestling, Wednesday baseball, Thursday wrestle, Friday baseball, Saturday weigh-in, and then Sunday wrestle. And then so you're, you're seven days a week? Every day, yep, every day. Every day. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I train – we'll have hitters come in um, – well, if hitters come in on the weekends, I mean, some like, you know, in the independent ball guys or some pro guys like, um, Mikey Bernal from Arkansas is coming up, uh, the 28th. He's going to stay with my house for, I don't know, four or five days. We've had uh, a couple guys, Ian Jenkins from South Carolina. He's a draft pick. Um, he stayed with us at our place. I mean, my wife and I just have one son and we have a pretty good sized house with decent resources. So we just let players or coaches stay in one of the guest bedrooms and, come to the facility and hit and they teach me a bunch of stuff and I write it all down and video it and dissect it. Here, I'll show you. These are all flash drives with, with really? hitters and yep. All, all flash drives with hitters trying to learn what we're doing. So yeah. That's awesome, man. I love how invested you are for, for no return. Yeah. Well, there is a return though. So I, I have, uh, my nephew committed to Wichita state and, um, and, uh, we have a player down there. I get emotional because it was the first guy I ever trained. Is a guy named Garrett Kosas. He's the he's the best, and uh, he's down at Wichita State. And uh, he helped my nephew. He didn't didn't help him, but I mean, he didn't hurt him. He was loyal, and he he really stayed. Uh, he was a good friend. It was awesome. So that's the return. All these boys. Uh, another one of our guys just got a D one offer, Arkansas State. We've got another couple D one offers coming, and. It's really good. I got a ten-year-old son, so hopefully someday he gets something out of it. Hey, you know? he's got a good swing, though. I see him on tw- I see him on Twitter. Yeah. So he's got a yeah. really good swing. You've done a good job with him. So in all seriousness, all the minor league guys that I work with, or not all, but a few of the minor league guys I work with, we have a deal. They're all like, "Okay, how much money do you want?" And I always joke and say, I, "I don't want any money." And then they say, "Well, what do you want then?" And I say, "When you make the big leagues and I show up the ballpark, you have to pretend you know me. You have to be nice. Got <laughs> to pat me on the back." You got to say what's up. You got <laughs> people. You got to show it up for the crowd. And he's so one of the guys who plays he's with the with the in, in double A. He says, "That why?" I says, first off, I'm going to charge you like twenty five hundred bucks. You ain't going to pay. So then it's just going to turn into a big fight between me and you. And I don't want that. And secondly, someday my son's going to be sixteen years old, and you're going to be in the big leagues, and you're going to slap me on the back, and he's going to be like, "Man, my old man isn't a bone." You know. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah. really, I really appreciate you coming on today, man. This is a fun conversation, and I'm glad we really got to connect. Sure. No, you know, I think, I think here's what it comes down to. If people would stop worrying about right and wrong, and I know this is stupid and idealistic, and we're not on Miss America, so don't make fun of me. Right. But if everybody would just set aside maybe right and wrong and just say who's got the hitters and who doesn't have the hitters, and what are they doing to get them? I think that ultimately, then you measure what those hitters are doing. Like, like I think that that would, that would create a lot less tension rather than everybody trying to figure out what they have to do to be right. I don't want to be right. I don't. I want to be the best copycat of the person who is right. And I think there's so many people on Twitter that should just be like that. I mean, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to till any soil. I mean, Jason's doing it now. Richard's done it. Doug Latta's done it. I mean, there's tons and tons of people on Twitter and in and, and baseball that have, they've all tilled the soil. Let's just, let's eat from what they've already 
they've already plowed and harvested. That's that's what I do. Sure. Um, if anyone on Twitter doesn't like me, DM me. I apologize. I'm sorry. Um, I I just uh, I think that ultimately hitting is something that is it's awesome, and everybody can be great at it. John, I think Cruck I think real. I don't think anyone's gonna hate after they listen to this interview. I don't. I think it's gonna be tough to hate you. <laughs> That's I do. Fair. That's fair. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right, well, I You're appreciate a good man. you coming on I, today. I, I 